The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to Stockhead's Rock Yarn. Globally, power generation systems have evolved rapidly. The influential Rocky Mountain Institute in the USA estimates that 33% of global electricity will be generated by intermittent solar and wind by 2030. Meanwhile, Australia's CSIR estimates that the weighted average levelised cost of electricity from newly commissioned utility-scale solar and photovoltaic projects in Australia will sit between 3 and $0.06 cents per kilowatt hour by 2030. Consequently, the new boom area for renewable energy is long-duration power storage, aimed at capturing low-cost generation to ensure it is available 24-7. I'm your host, Peter Strachan, and in this issue, we will look at an Australian company that is leading the way in the battery sector. Redflow has just passed the first operating anniversary of a two megawatt hour facility it installed for a industrial client in California and has just secured an order for 2,000 10 kilowatt hour battery units that it will be delivered in 50 200 kilowatt hour pods storing 20 megawatt hours for a client in Northern California to be delivered later this year and through the first half of 2024. To update us on developments in Australia and globally, we're delighted to welcome back Tim Harris, who is Redflow's Managing Director. Welcome, Tim. What's Redflow's business model and how do you see the business developing over coming years? Well, thanks, Peter, Ben. great to be joining you here today again. Um, so Redflow designs and manufactures zinc bromine flow batteries. As you said, we design and manufacture one of the smallest flow batteries in the world, but very modular in its approach. And those batteries are ideal for kind of storing excess renewable power and then discharging that when you need it, when you need it most. So um, with that 10 kilowatt hour system, we can use smaller systems for things like off-grid farming or telco towers. But increasingly, we're focused on seeing lots of market demand for larger systems. And as you said before, Peter, we've had a, a great reference to megawatt hour system in California that's now been operating for over 12 months. And um, last month, we announced uh, really a game-changing order for us, which is a 20 megawatt hour order as part of a, a microgrid for a Native American tribe, again, in California. Uh, and so our, our key role is, as you said before, is to soak up all of that excess renewable generation where it's been generated during the day and be able to shift that effectively and efficiently to when you need it most. So what sets Redflow apart from its competitors in the quite competitive battery market? Well, as you said, Peter, we're, we really focus on that kind of medium to longer term energy storage duration. So our battery is ideally suited from like a four to 12 hour type duration. So much more energy orientated than what lithium is usually kind of um, optimized for. What really, I suppose, sets us apart from a landscape is probably three things that the end customers are looking for. One is performance. You know, can I get the maximum energy that I can and does it actually suit my needs and the application that I need to? The second one is operational proof. We've been at this game for, for a long time, a lot longer than other players in the market. And so we've delivered over three gigawatt hours of energy through our batteries to our customers to date. 
And they're also looking for cost effectiveness. That's both in terms of the, the capex cost associated with buying the battery, but also what's the lifetime cost? What's the levelized cost of storage um, so I can get the maximum use of that asset over the lifetime of that asset? And again, across all of those three points, we really think that we've got a, a, a strong value proposition and are differentiated in the market. But what I would say is, is that, you know, I think the future of the energy storage landscape is going to be able to incorporate multiple technologies. You know, you're going to have technologies that are required for short duration, power orientated um, uh, requirements. And then, you know, looking forward, you're going to have to have solutions that can effectively and efficiently shift that excess energy, which what flow batteries of which we're a, a part of that of are really well suited to. And that's been recognised by people like the Australian government that flow batteries have a really important role to play in the future energy ecosystem. And there's also the environmental and uh, sustainability, social uh, aspects of your product compared to uh, batteries that are made with uh, lithium and cadmium and so forth, safety aspects. Yeah, that's right, Peter. Look, I think environmental concerns uh, are coming to the forefront and we like to kind of think ourselves as having a great story around what we call our kind of product product stewardship. So. Ours is a zinc-based battery. It's you can get that from some very benign places in the world, unlike you know products like cobalt. Uh, and our battery is 100% recyclable at the end of life. So, you know, whereas it's a cost now to uh, to uh, dispose of, of lithium-based systems, and it's really difficult both from a technical and commercial point of view. We've taken our batteries just through normal recycling channels. So we think you know that circular element of our product is is something that I think our customers are increasingly looking looking towards. I suppose the other factor that, that we have that kind of sets us apart a little bit is that we don't face the risk of thermal runaway, which is a phenomenon, albeit rare, but is, is pretty sharp consequences when you start to look at lithium-based systems and the fire risk that that creates. Uh, and uh, so from a safety perspective, you know, we, we're pretty happy in terms of when customers are really looking for a safe technology that we've got a strong value proposition there. As I outlined in the introduction, the company's just announced this 20 megawatt hour project. What's the company's current order book, including this order, and what are its near-term opportunities for the coming year? Well, this this order, um, as you said before, Peter, takes us, uh, is a really a step change in both in our order book and, and projects that we're going to deliver. So that order book kind of now takes us well over 20 megawatt hours that we want to deliver over the next kind of 12 months. And that that project of 20 megawatt hours is about an 18 million Australian dollar project. So that also represents a really significant step change in terms of in terms of our revenue. Um, when we start to look broader beyond that in terms of our order book, we're pretty excited about um, some of the opportunities that we currently see in our pipeline in our target markets in the US and also in Australia. And, you know, we have, you know, in, in terms of advanced engagement, we probably have about 300 megawatt hours of sort of active customer engagements or opportunities that are kind of hopefully moving to close that we would see closing in the next, you know, over the next one, two, three, four months. And some examples of those are, you know, um, a project that we're working in the US for the US federal government um, for a microgrid for the US Department of Defense, which we think is pretty exciting. Um, again, in the US and California, uh, an opportunity for a hospital microgrid in California um, that's wanting renewable energy for um, resilience and energy cost reduction and they avoid having to use expensive and um, uh, not very environmentally friendly diesel backup for that purpose. Um, and so, and then closer to home, we've got some opportunities in remote uh, grids for a large utility here in Australia, but also working with a, an Australian IPP around, you know, 
um, looking at battery solutions to complement their existing um, their existing lithium-based systems. So it's a really exciting market for us at the moment. And, and what we've been delighted about is that 20 megawatt hour system really just elevates us uh, in terms of market visibility and, and will help prove that we can take this core technology and really deliver multi-megawatt hour projects um, to our customers. And so we've seen a real um, advance in terms of some of the opportunities that we've been working on, but also a number of new opportunities that have come down the line since we announced that project uh, that project last month. Oh, so it's changing. The landscape's changing pretty quickly. You also had a, a contact from your original customer in California, the one you built the two megawatt hour facility for. They were looking for a six megawatt. Is that still in the pipeline? So we believe it is. I mean, that that customer is, I think, still going through their business case and financing models, and I think potentially the inflationary environment has changed. You know, the timing of that. But, you know, that's still an opportunity, but we still see a, a huge number of other opportunities, particularly in the kind of commercial and industrial space, who are looking to um, secure reliable, renewable energy at an affordable cost. Uh, and when you start to look at across the, you know, the, the, the commercial landscape with customers who really depend or are very, are very kind of exposed to um, energy reliability and cost, they're starting to now lean into the opportunities that renewables plus energy storage can provide. Uh, and so some of the, the step changes that we've made um, with our business and focusing on that larger CNI space over the last kind of 12 to 24 months, I think is really kind of starting to pay off with some of those, that interest um, that we're getting from that type of market. And, you know, there's a huge market for us in, in California, uh, the broader markets in the US like Texas, but also here in Australia where, um, albeit a little maybe a little bit slower than some other markets in the US, we're certainly starting to see some really exciting um, opportunities come through. And, uh, and I think a renewed level of interest in long duration storage and the important role that, that, that LDES can start to play in the future energy ecosystem. So you've sort of covered off on my next question, which is really about the global long duration energy storage and your focus on commercial and industrial applications uh, in the United States initially. But I guess it's the, the, you know, the opportunity is actually everywhere in Africa, in Europe, in South America, wherever. Oh, hugely. And, you know, we, we, we see that you know, as you said, I think at the start of your podcast, Peter, there is no doubt now that renewable energy generation is the best and cheapest way to generate energy. But what we're starting to see is is that that realization that the transition, I think, to a renewable energy-based future and achievement of renewable energy targets, whether that's with governments at the national level, at the state level, or large corporates in terms of their own plans to hit hit kind of net net, net zero targets, needs energy storage to to, to bridge from where they are today to that future, and a particular focus on on, um, long duration energy storage. So anything that's sort of six plus hours, we kind of qualify as long duration storage, which is really where our sweet spot is. And if you start to look at the examples, so in California, I think, they, um, they had their largest ever year of renewable penetration last year. But because there was so much excess energy that was generated during the day, they had to curtail nearly 2.5 terawatt hours of energy last year. Now, if you put that into perspective for your readers, that is probably enough to power about 250,000 homes uh, for a whole year. So... It's, it's a crying shame that you've got a lot of this renewable energy that's been generated, but it's got nowhere to go. And so it doesn't go anywhere. So that's a lost opportunity 
where what you want to do is be able to effectively and efficiently shift that energy when it's been generated or when it's cheap uh, and then be able to discharge that when your, your demand is high or when the sun's not shining or the wind's not blowing. Uh, and that's really where our product and our solution has a really key role to play. Yeah, and you can see evidence of that over here in Western Australia. I mean, yesterday for about three hours, the power price to get your power onto the grid was minus 60 to minus $70 a kilowatt hour, a megawatt hour. Absolutely. And um, the government here is now saying uh, because prices have gone up, certain people uh, in the community are going to be able to get their power for free if they use it between 9am and 3pm. So they know, the government knows that they've got plenty of power during the middle of the day when the wind is blowing and the sun shining, especially in the summer. But, all I mean, this is the winter and we had three hours of the day when it was costing people $60 or even up to $80 a megawatt hour to get power onto the grid. So, you know, if you've got batteries, there's almost a business model to be able to just build a battery and take the power when it's cheap and sell it at you know six o'clock in the afternoon when it's one hundred and twenty or two hundred dollars a megawatt hour. Well, buy low, sell high. I mean, and this is where you're starting to see you know the real step changes as you start to move towards you know a renewable energy future. And I think it's kind of clear to see that the pathway towards that, Peter, is 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 not going to be linear. You know, you're starting to see challenges and people like. AEMO talk about the urgent need for longer duration storage to kind of manage that transition, particularly when you've got, you know, traditional coal-fired generation that, that's vulnerable or, or might be slated to be retired earlier than, than was originally planned, plus a massive growth in, um, uh, in, in renewables. And a future where if you're starting to electrify, uh, whether it's cars or other part of kind of critical industrial infrastructure, the demands um, on the grid are going to be so much higher in a future world. So that's really driving, I think, a lot of that interest into, into renewable energy uh, and energy storage. And you kind of want a solution there that effectively and efficiently sort of shifts that energy. And flow batteries are really good for that because we can take energy and we can fill out our bucket up to, up to the brim and then empty it down all the way to zero again and do that day in and day out over many years without any degradation. Uh, and so it's a really perfect solution when you're starting to think about how can I maximise that renewable energy penetration, but also be able to shift that energy to kind of when we need it most. And, you know, and so for us on our side, we're a zinc-based battery. You know, we think we've got a good, strong value proposition across, you know, um, other non-lithium-based uh, peers uh, in terms of things like energy, de- energy and power density and that operational experience and, and cost. And so we think it's a very exciting future here in Australia, but in, in other markets as well. And as you say, every country is going on this journey and, and every country is going to need energy storage. So how are you going to meet the demand? What's the company's production capacity currently and what's your plans for expansion? So we have a, a manufacturing facility that's been running for a number of years in, in Thailand and that's worked out extremely well for us. It's located in a deep sea port. We've got a fantastic labour force there and, and we're also, because it's in an automotive hub, we're quite close to a number of our suppliers um, who also support the, the automotive industry. And so that facility is, is capable of about scaling up to about 80 megawatt hours per annum. Um, we're going to hit about 40 megawatt hours by the end of, um, end of this year and hit that kind of 80 megawatt hours sometime in the kind of middle of next year as we start to execute on some of these opportunities in our pipeline and start to... You know, ramp up. 
And then in parallel, we're starting to think and look beyond that Thailand facility. And so it's our goal that sort of by the end of 2025, we want to have another facility between sort of 500 megawatt hours and a gigawatt hour um, of capacity. And that's because, you know, our customers are asking for it. You know, it's interesting to see that a number of the opportunities that we have in our current pipeline, you know, are from very large customers that are starting to be very interested in our solution. They want to do a smaller project, but in parallel, they're asking about how much can you scale and buy when. Uh, and so, you know, uh, we were in the US about three weeks ago talking to, I think, one of the world's largest um, renewable energy companies. I think they have about 180 uh, uh, megawatts of storage in operation at the moment. And we spent a two-day workshop with that customer talking about the technical aspects of our solution, the commercial aspects, but more importantly is where and how can we scale up to fit their gigawatt hour type requirements and needs. And that's requirements that are not just in the US, it's also talking to some customers here in Australia as well. Uh, and so that's sort of in the active planning mode and, you know, decisions about where and how that model needs to look like is certainly something that we're leaning into at the moment. So does the company currently have any sort of time frame sort of in-house to achieve cash flow, operating cash flow positive? I mean, it's obviously you're going to need to spend capital to expand, but from an operations point of view, do you think you can achieve that by, say, the end of next year? Look, I think in terms of what we've talked about as in terms of our ambition, we're probably more focused on the on the EBITDA line, Peter, in terms of where we think we want to get to, because a lot of the cash flow is also going to be dependent on, you know, as you say, what that capex looks like and what it is and what other sources of, of, of funding is available to us to be able to go and support that capital scale up. And so in terms of our ambition, you know, we've got an ambition to be an EBITDA positive company in, in two years. Um, when we start to look at the capex requirements, you know, clearly we'll need some further capital to to scale up from where we are to where we want to be and where our customers are expecting us to be. But we also note there's a number of different sources of capital for us to kind of lean into that, um, lean into that, whether it's, you know, US DOE grants and loans that are available for companies like us that, you know, we've had some initial discussions about, whether it's sort of opportunities that we see here um, in Australia for funding um, uh, and loan support. Uh, or, or whether we go down a contract manufacturing route for some aspects of our battery that we think is going to be accretive to our shareholders, um, all of those are kind of in play at the moment. So lots of opportunities, I think, for us as we scale to kind of tap into non-diluted sources of, of um, shareholder capital. But again, our key focus is to make sure we kind of secure some of those bigger deals. We ramp up and, you know, we're, we're positive and confident about the trajectory before we start to kind of invest heavily in that space. So are there any pro, uh, product innovations in the pipeline and what's the plan for the use of the funds that are currently being raised through the uh, rights issue? Yeah, we're, we're actually pretty excited about some things that we've been working on. Um, Peter, as, as you said before, we've, for this uh, our 20 megawatt hour project um, in California, we're iterating to a larger pod than what we did with our, our first two megawatt hour system with, with Energia in California. Um, about 18 months ago. So that's that's one. Look, the, the key thing is, I suppose, is as we start to scale up, particularly in lean into larger commercial industrial and, and utility scale um, opportunities for us, we do see a logic for us to kind of iterate to a, a larger form factor. And that's all about kind of economics and getting better performance um, out of our battery and in our kind of build of materials. Uh, and so we know, for example, that, you know, based on our power systems and our pumps, those two elements of our battery and the cost can probably cover a battery about 10 times the size. 
Uh, and so as we start to lean into these these larger opportunities, you know, we can actually start to think about iterating part of our, our battery and our battery design to achieve step changes in our cost profile that's going to make us more competitive, but also drive margin into our business as well. And so we actually have a number of conversations with some of our large customers to sort of say, look, this is what we're thinking about and actually getting some really active feedback from our customers about form factor, size, what impact that might have in terms of their civils and their civils costs as they start to think about the installation and implementation of this. And that's a really valuable feedback loop because you know it's, it's pretty clear for us that there's a number of big companies out there that are at, now actively looking for long duration, commercially proven technologies like Redflows and really want to work with us to see how they can optimise our, our battery design and economics to fit their needs. Yeah, so there's plenty of opportunities there for costs down. So just very briefly to, to finish, over the next six or 12 months, it sounds like there's a we just wait to see uh, how many of these uh, new projects actually hit the deck. Yeah, that's right. So look, for us, we've got a pretty clear focus on what we want to achieve with, a, with, our, with our business over the next 12 months. You know, we want to execute on the, the key deal and this, you know, there's going to be many eyes on this project in, in California because it has been um, supported by the, the Californian Energy Commission that has said very clearly that they want this to be a springboard for us to enable 200 to 400 megawatt hour systems in the future. So we absolutely need to, to execute on that. We also want to execute on some of the other key deals, as we said, in our pipeline uh, and bring on some new projects that we're pretty excited about. Um, in Australia, in the US, and a couple of other markets where we've received some pretty exciting um, opportunities. Uh, and then we want to basically drive further costs down into our battery. You know, we want to push our scale efficiencies. We want to drive you know, better commercial outcomes with our suppliers and, and partners as we start to go through. And increasingly, I think, raise our profile and, and market leadership in the LDS space. You know, it's a hugely exciting space for us to be in. You know, I think you know, Redflow's been at this for a long time before actually people were starting to talk about long duration energy storage. And so that operational experience and the, the grey hairs that we've achieved that sets us apart from others, we think puts us in a really great position to, to kind of scale up our business and, and be ambitious about the future. Fantastic, Tim. Thanks for coming into Stockhead today. And uh, we'll be watching over the next six to 12 months to see uh, how these new projects uh, develop. That's great. Thanks very much, Peter. Speak to you soon.